Engage Sessions. The NSR Media Network presents Sessions, bringing you behind the scenes and into the lives of your favorite music artists. And now, here's your host, Barry Davis. And welcome to another edition of Sessions. And, uh, you know, Thomas, this is not a first-time guest that we're having on this week. He's been on the program a few times before, but this is the first time he'll be part of the program and you can actually watch it because, yes, oh, yes, we now Zoom sessions. So if you are, you know, old school, are you an old school? Do you listen more than you watch, Thomas? Uh, yeah, I am. Big time, big time. I love listening. And even when I'm watching something, I generally tend to be doing something else. That's a good point. Yeah. It's multitasking, something many of us guys are not very good at. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if you're like me and it's one or the other, uh, go for it. We'll have that posted on our YouTube page. And yeah. that is, uh, I think it's called NSR Media or something like that. I'll send out the link. There we so go. So if you, have, if you follow and, me and on social media, you'll see the link. And the cool thing about this video is, yeah, like there's actually stuff like Gord is, is gracious enough to actually bring out a guitar and, yeah. and, and work over some tunes. So there's, there's some really cool stuff coming to people. Yeah. And uh, you'll get to see uh, some of those secrets. You'll hear them too, right? That's the nice thing about audio. You can still mm-hmm. definitely hear it. So Gord Depp of the Spoons coming up on this week's part, also of A Flock of Seagulls. I should not shun the seagulls. You can't. Right? Absolutely. Right. So Gord Depp of the Spoons and of a flock of seagulls. It's a lot of ofs. All right, uh, Tom, <laughs> in a few moments, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a wonderful event that happens every year in the GTA. It happened differently this year, but it was just as successful. But before that, uh, We Ain't Petty has been back in the studio and uh, recording another piece of music. And this is Don't Come Around Here No More. And Tom, we're not telling you to not come around here anymore I, you know, I'd love I can't wait till you can come around here again yeah, I mean, give, it, give it another month hopefully some good responsibility and we'll be right back in the south alright here is We Ain't Petty with Don't Come Around Here No More
Stop walking down my street Don't come around here no more Who do you expect to meet? Don't come around here no more And whatever you're looking for That is Armin Leonard on the keyboards, Matt McFarland on the drums, Amelia Lamorte on the bass, and a wailing, wailing Ken O'Gorman on the guitar. I I miss live music, Thomas. I miss playing with We Ain't Petty. I miss playing with Driven. Uh, I miss the potential gigs you and I will have with our new duo yep. called Two of Us, I know. as we pay tribute to uh, to the Beatles and. Um, there, there are a number of videos we've put together, uh, and we've recorded audio of about maybe 10 songs already. Yeah. We're just behind on doing videos. But, uh, man, you know, it, you can only do so much Yeah, it's a hard recording on Zoom. It's a hard winter right now, you know? it's it's Nobody knows what's happening. Um, everybody's unsure. I think everybody's frightened. Everybody's a little down. And, uh, and yeah, and missing live music, it was fantastic hearing that tune. Oh, I love We Ain't Petty. You guys are great. Oh, and you know, in about two weeks, it will mark the one-year anniversary of our last indoor gig. Wow. A year. Yeah. We played one show in the summer 
an outdoor festival that we were supposed to all be involved mm -hmm. in, driven as well, and then everything went kaput again. Yep. So we have literally, we're coming to the point where it's been like two gigs in a year. Yeah. And man. It sucks, but you know you got to make the best of it, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk to uh, Gore Depp about, uh, about how the spoon stayed incredibly yeah. active through COVID and finding creative ways of doing it. And speaking of creative ways, so every year, Tom, Andy Kim hosts this big Christmas special, a huge concert, and I went to it last year actually for the first time, and it had an incredible lineup. Every year they they raise money mm -hmm. for charity, and that was the big problem, right? Because a lot of it uh, goes towards uh, the food banks of Canada and mm. uh, and Cam H, yeah, uh, Gift of Lights yeah. as well, right? So this these are nice, these are charities that, you know, you, you think are going to lose money. So yeah. Andy Kim said, you know, we're going to still find a way to do this. And what they did is instead of having a live concert in front of, you know, 15,000 people, they put it on television. And uh, City TV uh, carried it. And they raised over one hundred and ninety thousand mm -hmm. dollars. So that's fantastic. Good for them. Uh, Tara Sloan uh, and Tracy Moore were the co-hosts of the event. I love Tara Sloan. We got to get her back on the show. She was on sessions a long, long time ago. Yeah, she could almost because her band. Oh man, her her band Joy Drop. What a great, great band from the yeah. I guess the early two thousands. Early thousands. What was that tune? I sometimes want to die. It was a, just a yeah. great groove. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and she's also a huge proponent uh, for mental health. Yep. Uh, she she shared her struggles uh, when she was on the show before. So yeah, we got to get her back on. But listen to this lineup. Aside from Andy Kim, uh, you had the Bare Naked Ladies, Broken Social Scene, Buffy St. Marie, City in Color, Glass Tiger, Rock with Voisin, uh, Julie Black, Cardinal Offshaw. I think is is that is it Cardinal? <laughs> Cardinal Offshaw. Yeah, Something there you like go. That. We're close. We're close. Uh, on Sex Smiths, yeah. <laughs> Sam Roberts, Sarah McLaughlin, Sarah Ryder, or Serena Ryder, and William Prince. N oh, there's huge talent there, man. Huge, huge talent. So uh, kudos to Andy Kim for uh, finding a way to do it again. Uh, that's what we have to do. Find a way to get through uh, COVID. And speaking of, uh, this band has been doing a great job of it as well. And uh, this song we're going to hear is from their latest album, New Day, New World. And this is one that, uh, well, the writer actually requested. So here it is. Life on Demand from The Spoons here on Sessions. From the spoons, and it is from the album which I have with me. New Day, New World. Get your copy now. And if you're lucky, maybe, just maybe, you'll get an autograph from Gord or Sandy, like I did on the copy of that one. Uh, Gord, there were a lot of great songs on this album, and when I asked you which one to play, uh, you specifically said that you wanted to hear uh, Life on Demand. So, what? Tell me about yeah. that song and, and why that was the one you picked. What do you mean? It's the one 
it's one of the songs that a lot of people might not know because a bunch of the other songs have videos. We play them live. We don't play that one very often, and it's not really a pop. It's more sort of a, a moody, darker song, but it's it kind of uh, it's got it's got the progressive vibe that I liked in some of the earlier stuff that we did, like Aria style. It's, it's more Arias than some of the other stuff, which is more Tamalized Dramatic Traffic era, you know. And it's got a cool message, you know, about people wanting things immediately 24 hours a day you know non-stop and and well you know going through going through is kind of a good song for thought right now <laughs> yeah you know i want to get into and, and, you know, it's, it's yeah. just a cool song it's also one of the songs i co-wrote with my son matthew oh he that's awesome songs another one was landing lights which ended up being a huge song for us i mean for video and stuff so it's kind of cool to feature his talent a little bit and i want to get into that uh before we do i, I do want to ask you about the New Year's Eve show, which was was so cool. And it was, uh, you know, I, I never put anything past Ed to be able to come up with something. Yeah. And, you know, here we were trying to figure, how are we going to do something for New Year's Eve? And Ed came through big time. I mean, this was a plethora of music stars. And it also featured a full original Spoons lineup reunion. How cool was that yeah. to, you know, I mean, there's Rob. And, and then... Your original drummer ends up paying five hundred bucks for you to play a song as a donation. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really cool because he made the first bid. His wasn't the winning bid. Somebody mm -hmm. outbid him for like seven fifty, but he came back just to see what a great guy is. He said, "I'll still, I'll still contribute." Wow! So it ended up making like twelve fifty for me to sing that one song at midnight, which was amazing that's wonderful that we could do that but we, the first thing we of course joked about is, is Derek's gonna you know offer 500 dollars for, for me not to sing yes. just, that's perfect Derek you know <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> I said fine I'll do that too whatever you want you know it's pretty rare that a band you know because bands go through changes and, and you and Sandy have been the rocks of this band from day one and you've had different people come in and out but to be able to still have a good relationship with the original guys, you don't often see that. It's pretty rare. So what's what has made it possible for the four of you to still be tight with each other? Yeah, we, no, but one thing is we don't see each other very much. Rob uh -huh. is in New York City, uh -huh. you know, permanently now because of, of COVID. Derek has been in San Francisco. He married a girl that works high up at, at, at um, Apple. And he's actually in town right now for a short while. Then he's supposed to go into England. So we don't, it's a long distance affair. So it'll, it'll last a long time. But we, you know what? I think now, especially when you read like Rob's posts, we are so appreciative of what we had. Like what an what a honor and what a, how lucky we were to share that time together. And we forget sometimes ourselves how amazing that was. So right now we're like, anytime we see each other, it's like, you know, it's, it's like a reunion of high school, you know, friends. Um, and we will hopefully see each other this year because last year, our 40th, was supposed to bring them back for some of the shows. Oh, cool. Which obviously didn't happen. So this year it should. Like Some shows that were canceled last year were being brought over to this year, and they'll be on those for sure. Then maybe we'll start fighting and hating each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was was there something in particular that kind of tipped the scales to actually make this reunion possible after all this time? Well, it was, it's all around the 40th anniversary that we had last year. Of course, that's a write-off. That was a year that, you know, to be forgotten. So, you know, we do see each other once in a while. I think the last time before that we were all in the same room was five years ago. We got together for a Christmas dinner. Oh, no, sorry, what we're we talking about. We did um, another anniversary 
I think it was the anniversary of one of our big records or something, and they came out and did a couple of songs. So usually anniversaries, those kind of things will do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, if they lived in the same city, we might see each other more often, but both, both of those guys are super successful, you know, in other parts of the world. And, and so, yeah, it's, it, they're still friends, but the, the kind of friend you see like once a year or something, that's, it's a strange <laughs> thing, but that's how it is. You know? At least we're not like the police or something like this. I mean, they, they can't stand to be in the room together <laughs> from what I hear. You know? yeah. We miss each other. Gord, when you look back to when you were writing songs with that original lineup back in the day, you're putting an album out. You've got the record company on your case. You've got fans that want to hear new material. You're, you know, you want the songs to be successful. You want people to watch the videos, buy the records, and all. Yeah. As you're putting this new album together, the mindset obviously has got to be different, right? And you're probably thinking, you know, if we can sell a couple of hundred of these things, then then great. I'm just, you know, I I've just got this material I want to write how much was this like a real pleasant holy crap for you that this new material because let's face it Gord so many bands from the 80s have put out new material I mean including Flock of Seagulls that nobody listens to nobody even really knows about this album has done yeah. so well for you guys you know what I think it's because we are our own worst critics at least I am I'm, I'm so critical I'm not one of these guys who thinks everything they put out is amazing you know I meet those people <laughs> I'm more <laughs> I'm afraid what I might have thrown away that never got released and it probably would have been okay. Even some of the songs that we put out, I didn't want to because I don't think they were good enough. Like old emotion stuff like that. It's like, what are we doing? This is so wrong, you know? Seriously. But yeah, so it's in my it's in my own mind really. So we're very critical and very, you know, we're on censor board. We're very picky of what we put out. And I don't know what it is. I think we're not stuck in the eighties. Like we're an eighties band, we're not stuck back there. I I like to be the kind of band where people are listening to to the record and go, wow, this is kind of a cool new band that has some 80s flavors to it, you know, which a lot of bands do anyway now, right? So it's not, mm -hmm. we fit right in with that scene. And I'm, I'm into current music and styles. I, I really don't listen to 80s stations or listen to my old Duran Duran records and like that. I'm, I'm, I really, I, I find it sad to look backwards that way. I mean, it's nice once in a while, but I, I like new things, you know, new, new fresh blood and it keeps me motivated. What are your favorite bands right now? Who are you listening to right now? Oh, jeez. I couldn't even name most of them. But there's certain <laughs> bands I'll never get tired of. There's certain bands I'll never get tired of, and they're not new bands, actually, but they're not 80s bands either. Like, my favorite will always be uh, The Verve, anything that Richard Ashcroft does on the solo, even. I always, for a while, I thought Noel was a genius in Oasis, but and I'm starting to really discover. Um, all Liam stuff, his solo stuff, which is amazing. You Have know? you seen that documentary on uh, Amazon Prime on on the guys? It, oh. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, it's so funny how you can see their personalities, even when they were little brats. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But this, I mean, the stuff I hear even now, like I just go, wow. How like some Canadian bands that just blow me away with the quality of their work. Like um, we did a show with um, what are they call. Uh, Dear Rouge, mm -hmm. is, is, that they, is that they're called? Like amazing, like they're mm -hmm. sort of up there with Metric, you know, um, Yukon Blonde. I played one of the, their songs, you know, Saturday Night by Yukon Blonde. Oh yeah, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. I showed yeah. it my store flock, flock of Seagulls. It, it's a total, like I went out to rip off, but borrowing from that era. Listen to it. It's got the same drum machine, same kind of bass tone and synths. 
Um, so, so I love when bands take those flavors that we are part of, you know. The Killers. So there's really another like one. It. When the first time I heard the Killers, yeah. I yeah. heard like, my God, I mean, there, there's, there's the Cars in what they're doing, right? And of course, the guy from yeah. the Killers ended up being the one who inducted the Cars into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So and, and a lot of Springsteen, right? I mean, the, he, I think he thinks he's Bruce Springsteen in his storytelling, his big grand American songs, yeah. you know. But which is great. He's carrying a, a cool torch there. He has a lot of bands that, you know. And I, I like really different. I, I love like really heavy screamo stuff sometimes, you know. So it's it's weird, but I like it. it I, I like I don't like sitting around with just an acoustic or guitar quietly. I, I like to turn things up really loud and <laughs> and rock and stuff, which you would not expect from a spoon, right? But that's why our music is a lot more energetic and loud live. Where on the albums, it's going to tone down. The guitar is low in the mix, you know. But uh, in the live shows, like it's like turn everything up, you know. <laughs> Where do you see, you know, you bring up live music. Uh, actually, uh, the last live show I was at, I had the privilege of attending, was was watching you play with the Spoons uh, in Hamilton, I believe it was, back before they locked us up real tight a few months oh, ago. Oh, wow. Is that, what, what, what show was that? I can't even remember. That's like another It time. was... Uh, oh, yeah, that was the night you, where... You had the two horn players from Colin James. That's right. Yeah, you, you had the, the sax players they with just, you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, where was it? Are you it was already forgetting? Hamilton. Are you forgetting? Sorry? <laughs> you, you do remember this night, right? This was a few months back. Oh, no, it wasn't the Spoons then. It was, it was like a little little fundraiser. Was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You played with Pete Nunn, oh, yeah, yeah. Pete Nunn, Sandy. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Derek was on drums. That's right, yeah. And that was... And that was there were Spoons show. songs. Yeah, and that was, that was under like the, the whole COVID thing, so it wasn't even like free and easy like a real show. Oh. People had to wear masks and sit separately and... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the last show that we did was in November. And just to show you how topsy-turvy things are, we did the Capitol Theater in North Bay for two nights. It's a thousand-seater, beautiful old Art Deco theater with, with 50 people each night. Oh, 50 wow. people. Yeah, and it was live streaming. And we're doing another one on March the 5th, actually, from the Oakville Art Center. But this time, no audience, unless things change. So they're going to pay for us to be there just to play to nobody. Wow. You know, I mean, but you guys got very creative uh, during COVID and a lot of bands yeah. just kind of said, ah, screw it. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do some virtual videos and we'll do whatever. Uh, what made you decide that, you know what, screw that. We're going to find a way to do, I mean, you guys performed on a freaking boat, you know, like, yeah, yeah, we, we did a, we did the, uh, a river boat with Bob Cage and the locks there. We did a rooftop of a building for Canada today. We did a, private island stony lake we did golf course and all within the parameters what was allowed and usually for charities and it did some really good work like and we were involved in that back of the basement thing in the states as the only canadian band with like flock seagulls and stuff and actually made headway with american fans that never heard about us like the guy said you were the surprise hit of the whole show because people were going how come i didn't know about these guys so we were very <laughs> happy that during covid we made some you know Broke some new ground, especially down there. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm that kind of. If I didn't play, like some people are going to think, well, we're going to wait it out. We're not going to play unless we can do our big show. You know, no, we're going to strip it down and still get that magic. And the few people are doing it. The, the, I think the same circuit that we were on, there was like Chantal Karbiachik was doing it, White Horse, you know, some smaller things. I'd rather be like them and keep busy, you know, and then then wait maybe till next summer or the next fall or whatever. I, I couldn't survive. 
Do you have any plans for the upcoming year? Have we are yeah. we thinking outside the box? Yep. Yes, Another well, rooftop. First of all, the, last year was our 40th anniversary. Forget that year. <laughs> so we're going to make it this year, and there will be a brand new compilation CD out in the spring, which is interesting because we put one out in '95, but the, there was a big gap because all the stuff we did with Anthem Records, like Waterline, Time Turns Around, Bridges Over Borders, Alone Tonight, all, all that stuff was not included because. It was Russia's old label, and we couldn't get the two publishers to work together. So this will be the first comprehensive, complete 40 years, including some of the new stuff. That'll be coming out. Um, the shows, hopefully, with Rob and Derek are going to be happening with the, with the reunion thing. Um, another video, because we did th three videos in isolation. That's, That's another awesome. thing we did. We did yeah. videos, right? Which A lot of them went on to win um, fest uh, film festival awards, and Two of them were part of a trilogy, so we're going to finally do the third one in March as well for a song called Beautiful Trap. Yeah, so we got, you know, got to keep putting gold. I said to the guys in the band, even if you don't have a gig in January or February, let's just make an imaginary one and have something to look forward to. So we started, like, bantering back and forth about the rider and, you know, what time is, you know, <laughs> we got to be there. And, I, and you know, and Johnny, our sound man, is going, so let's see, do you, what do you want on the rider? Is it a V8 or a tomato juice or what is it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just something to, to you know fool ourselves with gord uh on our show last week tom and i were talking about because we're both big beatles guys and they're going to be releasing this new beatles documentary where they found like hundreds of hours of film from the let it be sessions right wow. and it's all been remastered and beatles fans are hearing stuff that's 50 years old that's never been released and you see wow. a lot of bands finding material is there any spoon stuff that's out there from oh. from the day that you guys so are much. sitting on? So, like, yeah. why not get it out to your fans? Uh, there's so much of that, and I, I just moved um, about a month and a half ago. We moved into a new house, and I came across boxes of stuff, mostly on cassettes. So I've got to be able to get it somehow onto a digital form. But some of that stuff was pretty weird, though. This is, like, the really early... We were very punky. Think of, like, a cross between Talking Heads and Devo and and all that stuff very before we became more of sort of like, you know, with the Aria sound, you know, mm -hmm. we were pretty experimental before that. So yeah, we may do that. You know, I don't know what the quality is like. It's going to, it's going to be like putting on an old vinyl record. It's going to be That's all right. I don't think that's... those tapes hold up. <laughs> that's why those tapes have been moldy. It, are, are any of the <laughs> masters still available? No, we never, it was just, you know, I would no, have no idea where they are. You know, I mean, we we found some quarter inch tape though somewhere. But I'm afraid you know those things degrade, right? If you put them on a on a real mm. on a real to real, that could be like one play and they're gone. So yeah. if you're gonna play it, you better be ready to you know transfer it to digital at that first play. It might be your last shot to save it. You know, it's like it's like those vampire movies where the sun hits them and they disintegrate in the dust. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like that. So they're gone. You know. Is there anything uh, that you you wrote that maybe the record company kind of put a kibosh to or a decision was made not to release it that you look back now and say i really wish that song had been on one of our albums no nah, not really well that's good not really no not really no it's nothing we really missed it. i mean the, you know some of the stories of some of the stuff that was released that never made it into america because of political reasons that i regret like romantic traffic tunnel lies which were huge hits here and then about to be released in the states and they got buried by the new record exec you know and I mean, stuff like that. That's why? That I why? Why did that happen? 
Well, it was AM Records, and, and they, they finally got to the point. We had done the um, talk back out, and they all emotions was good, you know. Like, but when we when we showed them Tom Elijah Mad Traffic, which were already starting to be hit in Canada, they went, These are the songs that are going to break you in America. I said, All right, we're ready to go, right? <laughs> and I, within like, I don't know, weeks or a month, all of a sudden there's a new AR guy he comes in, not only us, but he like cleans houses. I have a new vision for the label, and, and not only could, could we, was it not released by them, we couldn't even get it back. They buried or, or destroyed them or something. Oh, wow. That was like the most depressing time in our, my career that I can remember. But luckily, we had the success in Canada to come back to. So we just hung on to our Canadian fans. And, and But that was could have gone a completely different way. You know, I could be living. But you know what? I, I was just saying I could be living in a mansion in L.A., but maybe not. You know, who knows? You make a big in L.A. at a young age, we could, we could be dead by now. Who knows? Right? So there's a reason. That's why, that's why I tell myself so I can sleep at night. <laughs> oh, man. I was talking to uh, the guys in the, in the band, being, talking about the Canadian scene and the American scene. We actually have a group better here, like in America. Like the Fox Seagulls guys, the singer's from Liverpool, but he also lives in Florida. They haven't played. We haven't had one gig, nothing. Mm -hmm. But we, were, we probably did like 10 gigs last summer, you know, between private things. And we've had so many festivals and big gigs keep getting moved. You know, there's supposed to be one this month. Obviously, it's not going to happen. Mm. So maybe in March, which is not going to happen. Then, then they move it to May. Then you know, it's like, and then some '80s cruises, which were booked last year, they moved them to this year. No, now next year. You know, so that's um, in that way, we've always been really lucky, whether with a label or now myself being having Flock Seagull and the Swoons, I have two worlds that I can sort of, you know, move back and forth between two dimensions, really. Talking about the sound, and it was a it was a really cool, unique sound when the Spoons came out. Now, if you talk to artists, and we've talked to a lot of young artists these days, and a lot of them, they know going into writing a song, like it starts with a beat, right? And it's all computerized, and then they build a melody around it, and they kind of layer, and all of a sudden they've got a song. Were you more just an acoustic guitar kind of guy, like writing something on a guitar, and then it builds into a song? Yeah. Yeah, I, never, I was never a guy who started things with a beat or... Uh, a loop or something, because we didn't really have that back yeah. then, you know? So um, how did it, how do you, because when, when a song's an acoustic song, it could be anything. It could end up being a yeah. rock song. It could be end up being a punk song. It could be in, so how did, like, was there a conscious effort as you're writing stuff like Old Emotions that no. you're like, no, this is going to have this kind of sound when it's done? No. Nothing. I, I, I have no, there's nothing conscious about what I do. I'm, and Rob said that once about me. He said he's, he's worked with a lot of people. He's like the most unique songwriters I've ever met. I have no structure. I have no thing. It's totally just by instinct, you know? And um, usually I would have electric, a couple of things I wrote on acoustic guitar, but... Um, yeah, let's no hear something. Gonna, like, a good example is um, what I find tells songwriters is sometimes abandon the instrument that you're comfortable on because your hands always go like, ah, right to the G chord, you know? Because you kind of... It's, it's muscle memory, right? So do something that you don't... like. Best example, I've told this story many times, is Nova Heart. I'm not a keyboard player, but I borrowed a keyboard from Rob, and the very first thing, you know, I go, I went, da da da, da da da, because three notes, simple, you know, doesn't take a brainiac to do, but it was so simple that it was very hooky and it worked, you know. And another example is, um, even as a guitar player, try writing on a bass guitar, which I, and a good example is the, is the song Ars and Symphonies, which is one of the most complex songs we've ever written. And it's got so many chord changes in it. But because I wrote it with only root notes, I didn't have to worry about the chords. I filled the chords in later. Even though they're in my head, 
So, for example, you know, uh, there's a lot of changes. Like, I, I, I was on the bass, I was going. You know, later on, I was like. As I was writing, I was just playing single note. It's like, is it hard to be the kind of man you want to be? Can you hear the, the guitar? Yeah. yeah. It's like one note. Oh, yeah. And then later on, you can, you, the band can figure out, figure out the chords, whatever, but it lets you write really quickly and just get a, a groove going like, by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing like a single note guitar. You know, it's sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of another song I wrote like that, say on like, um, the album before the Shining Transmission, the song that Sandy sings called um, um, Escape With You. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I had this cool bass line on the guitar. You know that? Stupid little line that sounds like a kid could, a kid could write, right? But it's so so um like raw and real that it, it's fun to create that way instead of worrying about am i playing a g minor or a g minor seventh or a d suspend you know whatever get right down to the bare bones of what what you do and and especially if you've written a long time i always said i wish there was a switch you could switch as a songwriter where you forget everything you know and you're like a beginning songwriter you know when your first ideas are really fresh and raw and that's what that makes you do and the other thing is, I get a guitar like that one over there, the, the jazz mat, where the, the Jaguar. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a Squire Jag, so it's really hard to play. It's full of buzzes. <laughs> it's really flawed. But when I play or write on that, it makes me feel like I'm rediscovering the guitar. That's so cool. Instead of having a pristine Stratocaster or Les Paul, which is perfect action and everything, this, I got to work at it, right? And it's great. So I, I, it, those are kind of cool things you find out by, you know, by accident. You got to reawaken that, that inner childlike approach to songwriting sometimes you know you know and it could be a guitar like like that you know like a pawn shop guitar or something so when, when it is amazing hearing that perspective and it's funny for me I, I was i put myself through university as a musician but like in the 90s it was a hard go and i gravitated toward the restaurant industry yeah and i always hated my writing as a writer um <laughs> And, but after spending about 10 years away and not playing the guitar, not playing the bass, not playing anything, I came back to, to, yeah. to instruments. And, and I found that, I, you know, one of the things I thought I, I, I might have been doing wrong all the time is I played guitar, and that's why I wrote the songs on the guitar. And, you know, the second time through with music for me, I, it, it's wonderful hearing you say that because, yeah, I pick up the bass and I write a song on the bass. Barry lent me his 12-string last week. And and I wrote a song on the on the twelfth string and just that that you know that step to the left that trying something different a slightly different instrument a slightly different approach and just exactly. opening those doors. Yeah. It's it's amazing hearing you talk about that. I'd love to kind of delve in a little bit deeper and ask you like who are your like from a songwriting perspective or from a playing perspective who are the guys that lit your fire that got you moving and thinking in these ways. Oh, geez. I mean, like I, like I just said, I like a lot of that Brit rock, you know, the Manchester sound, the, that kind of things. But, but growing up, man, I, I grew up in prog rock, which is totally, I don't know. <laughs> that. But it kept us away from disco and stuff in the 70s, right? Again, <laughs> it was the alternative. It was even for before, you know, stuff like real heavy metal. I mean, there was like, there were some heavier bands, like the early Black Sabbath and stuff, which I loved too. I loved the early stuff. I like really, you know, War Pigs or whatever. But then... That, I always like that darker stuff. And that, that's why when we put Arias out, it wasn't your typical 
poppy, like whip it, whip it good. It was more <laughs> aria, more sort of grand and big. And so, so I mean, I would like all those bands, Ultravox, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, um, Simple Minds, all that kind of stuff. But as a kid growing up, man, I was, I tell you know what my very first uh, rock idol kind of guy was, was Alice Cooper. Like, I don't know how that happened. But if you listen to one of his albums, it's actually an epic album, I think, is is uh, Billion, Billion Dollar Babies. That yeah, album. oh, totally. It's Forget about everything you think you know about Alice Cooper. It's like, it's got some really, you know, big, grand, beautiful, like, Hello, Hooray, and, like, unbelievably orchestrated masterpieces. It's not just like, I'm 18, or whatever it is. No, or 17 or he had some you know, pretty, like, pretty uh, deep yeah. ballads, like uh, Only Women Bleed. And I think he had yeah. one called You and I or something like that. Like, there was, like, good stuff, right? I was growing up, that's the stuff I listened to. I wasn't listening to the Beach Boys or or the Happy, hey, hey, you know. It was always, like, the little edgier stuff. And I liked the old Bowie stuff and Todd Rundgren and the old Queen. They, they, they always be on at the end of, like, Don Kirshner's rock concert or something. Or, you know, what's, what's the Midnight Special with, with Wolfman Jack? Remember those, those shows? They have all the... The perky acts earlier on, they have the Osmonds and they have the Eagles. But at the end of the show, they bring out some guy in a weird costume like Bowie or something and freak everybody out. But that's what I would wait for, and that, that would ignite my brain. Well, it's interesting. Two names you mentioned and two totally different approaches to songwriting. You mentioned David Bowie, and then you said the Beach Boys. And Brian Wilson, like, he would hear everything in his head. He would hear uh, every instrument, every chord change, how the vocal melody, this would all just appear in his brain, and then he would put it out to, you know, the, the musicians he was working with, which, at, you know, for the most part, wasn't even the Beach Boys. It was uh, whatever yeah. you call that, that group of musicians. Um, and then you look at David Bowie, where, like, he would just cut pieces of paper with phrases and throw them into a box and pull them out, and there's his lyrics. So for you, I mean, you mentioned, like, having, like, a little bass line that you're playing. Is a melody coming to your head right away, or are you... Are you? Yeah. Like, how melody does this? First. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll have a melody, melody in your head in that little. First. Yeah. Like some people like to have lyrics to go off of. I I make the lyrics fit the melody afterwards, and and that's another thing I tell songwriters to don't worry about words right away. Like I remember even with the early days of the Spoons playing like the little clubs like, Lyrics Hideaway or the Edge. Some of the songs weren't even done yet, and I would just make up words. That's awesome. I had awesome. this sort of strange <laughs> language. But back then, it was the 80s, right? You could get away with it. Like, it'd be David Byrne, you know. I'd be like, see, I didn't have words for Artie Zippies yet. I'd be like, when we get, I'd be singing like, Ish Mouse Melody. Just see the song that's done. You know, like, just like in the gibberish. People were like, yeah, he's just rocking out. Like, I would, um, and because it was almost like, you, know, you ever heard of, like, in the old, uh, turn of the century, they had stuff like automatic writing mediums. Like, they'd put a pen on paper and it would just start writing, like, almost like from, like a spiritual world or something. It wasn't like that, but you kind of let stuff come from your subconscious that way that you, if you sat down and you studied, you know, other people's lyrics and you probably come up with something very sort of trite and mad, but this comes like from someplace weird, like inside you. So I'd be going like, like, a song like Dramatic Traffic. I remember not even having those words really, but going, I think probably a car went by the club outside and I went, Something traffic, you know, like that. Just like the traffic word kind of popped into my mind because of the moment, right? So it's if you can do it, if you have a luxury, let your surroundings, your mood that day, what's on TV, let it soak into that moment. Let it be like a sponge. Don't be. You don't have to be a, a, the best writer in the world or a poet or something. You can do that too, but 
you know, look at Beatles. You love the Beatles. Like a lot of their stuff, you read it, go, that's not really making sense. Or it's like, but you, you hear it, it's it's magic, right? Just oh, yeah. the way the words flow together. It's like train of thought. It's 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 really um, unforced. And if you can get that at a regular, you know, without having to work at it, then you got something good. At what step in the process would you bring the song to Sandy and Derek and Rob and say, okay, this is what I've got? Or would you have something raw and just start jamming and working on it in, in studio together? What was that process like? I think in the old days more, I would have the whole thing done. And I, like I, you're talking about Brian Wilson, I have all the parts worked out. And if somebody had a little part to add, I was open to that. But I was, I was kind of, kind of tired about it a bit. Like, would you <laughs> but, literally but say that, like, would you literally tell Sandy now. that this is, this is the baseline I want you to play or would you kind of, get, yeah. And she was cool with that. But, no, but, but then later on, some of her bass parts were so, are hooks on themselves. Yeah. Like, well, well, really? winter. That's, just, that's, you know, so that's like a part of the song. Well, right? the beginning of or romantic like, um, traffic, right? I mean, you get that little yeah, guitar, but that little bass line is such a hook, right? Yeah. So she's definitely came up with all that stuff. And she's, she's, she's to me, well, still, still one of my favorite bass players because she has a lot of melody in her bass mm. playing. It's, it's not just, blah, 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 blah. like, I'm playing like a, she, she would do a lot more with it, right? Um, but now it's it's a bit more loosey goosey. You know, like we'll, if I have a song idea, I, I'll just play the rough idea of everybody and say, you know, what you got? Like, what can you do to to make it better? You know, you know, you get more relaxed as you you know as you get older as a writer and stuff. So, um, and you you kind of want that, like you know, a group you know friend vibe. You want everybody in on it and sharing and. <laughs> Back then, it's like, you know, me against the world kind of thing <laughs> as a young songwriter, you know? When when has the Spoons, like, when has your happy time, you guys have been playing for years, when has the happiest time in the band been? Is it the most successful time? Is it back in the 80s? Or or is it is it now? And playing in this wide-open environment, doing what you want, following your passions, and being more relaxed. Yeah. They, they all have good things, like, when you're there. But I, I can see... Before I say anything else, I would people say, "Oh, the '80s—they were amazing." When you want to be there, no, I, I like exactly where I am now in my life, and I, I'm glad I did that. But even this last summer, I was saying to Sandy, "It's amazing how, you know, especially me playing with Flock and Seagulls, I've done some amazing stuff. Like we, the year before, we did like biggest '80s show in Vegas ever, like 15,000 people outside. We did the Greek Theater in Los oh, Angeles. Wow. We're supposed to be back there again this last year, right?" And those are unbelievably magical moments. It's like you're just living your dreams, right? But then we, this last summer, we did some shows where there were small things. Like when we did that thing with Bob Cage and going on a boat through the locks, and we stopped at a couple of the uh, long-term care places, and old people were coming out and trying to dance with their walk. You know, you know it sounds really hokey, but <laughs> I came home. I came I came out of there and had this really warm feeling. Like, that was magical. That was It was so, on its own small term, it was wonderful. It was a memory. and Like, it was a... I mean, and doing an island and, and, and boats pulling up and then raining and everybody hiding under their tarps and we got out again. It was like a little mini Woodstock, you know, and they all have little memories that were as big as some of, of the big shows that we did. You know, all wonderful in, in their own way. Tom? Really? You probably think, what, what is this guy for real? <laughs> no, I think it's absolutely beautiful. I'm actually taken aback a little bit because, yeah, I mean, that's something that I've been personally, uh, again, as I alluded to earlier, like music was something that I'd kind of taken out of my life for, yeah. for a decade. And, and 
So when I think of myself right now, like I enjoy, you know, just grabbing one of these things and, and strumming along on my own yeah. alone down here more now than I enjoyed, you know, back in the day when, when I was playing for a big audience. And, and it is, it's not that one's better than the other. It's yep. that they're both amazing, and, and you know maybe I spent too much time trying to rate them. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. If you can find the, the beauty and satisfaction in all different things, then you know, you know what? Then you figure out life, I think. And that goes for anybody. It doesn't have to be a musician. You can find happiness, and, and hopefully as you get older, you need less to be, find that happiness, right? You don't need the big golden ring, you know? But it's um, that's gratifying when you, you see those that gratification in, in everyday little things. It sounds really cokey and stuff but it's amazing you know like i, I, yeah. I pay for my dog my dog's right here and I'm, and and, and, if he, and she looks up at me sometimes and she'll even strum my guitar sometimes like, I mean, even that is a cool moment like my dog is liking my music you know that's kind of cool <laughs> but not but then again i'm so looking forward to doing proper shows again going back and road with black seagulls the whole lost 80s tour is rebooked for, for starting in i think august 21st cross your fingers Hopefully right Oh, yeah, all those shows that because we did a bunch of shows, Flax Eagle Spoons and Men with Hats casinos that ended in March last March, was it? Yeah, and um, that's supposed to, they're supposed to pick up again in the fall. Like, oh, hopefully, everything will be back on track, and you know, fingers crossed. Gord, you guys did a, a remix of Nova Heart, and it, it's a real cool and it's more a modern spin on it and stuff like that. Yeah, of course, everyone's still gonna, you know, go back to the original one, but are there any songs that you release that you listen back now and say, I wish I could have recorded that differently. I wish we could have mixed it differently. Like, is there anything that you listen back to now? And it's, I love the song. I just wish we could have done it a little bit differently the way we recorded it. You know what? Not now, but I'm one of the guys that every album we put out, the moment it comes out, I go, oh, I wish it could be better. You could do better. It's not right. But as you look back, you go, no, no, it was right for its time. You know, it was good. The only thing I would like to do is that the last two albums we did, um, New Day, New World, and more so the one before static transmission are just drum machines. Oh, and I would really? love to remix them with, with Chris McNeil back and, re and do them with real drums. That's the only thing I would change. Mm -hmm. Bring bring that real drum element because it was kind of cool rediscovering the drum machine, but now I'm kind of feeling like I want the band vibe, more of the band. Because when we play them live, they're even better than on the record, I think. So that's the only thing I would change, really, you know? I what, think. what was it like working with, a, when you're working with a producer, and like you said, kind of like Brian Wilson, you had this vision of what you wanted the song to sound like. Were there times where you had to kind of, you wanted to step over what the producer wanted to do with the song because, listen, this is my song, this is my vision, but then he's probably saying, well, you know what, I don't give a shit what you think, the record company is going to want this and this is what, you know, is going to sell. Were there ever any issues like that where you just could not get what you wanted in it? No, no, we, we work with all amazing people. You know, working with uh, Daniel Ackman at the beginning and John, John Punter, uh, Na Rogers, you know, Bob Rock, Tom Tremuth, like big names, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we were just happy and honored that we had these people. Even though each one of them, we had to sometimes change our perspective a little bit. Like Na Rogers, for us, when first, we started working with them, I was thinking, like, what? We're coming from the British synth vibe to what? Canadian, I mean, American, uh, you know, R&B funk kind of producer kind of guy, but in the end it worked out great because that's when he did Bowie and in excess stuff. So he was changing his, 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 cha his, you know, perspective as well. So we met at the right time, but no, no, we always, we always uh, synced up pretty well, you know? Yeah. That's amazing.
you know, you know working yeah. with those guys and, and putting together an album like that, it's kind of something that seems to have gone by the wayside with digital. You know, everybody can record uh, their their lines in their own basement yeah. and, and you know and send it in. Uh, it seems to be de- being done on a much smaller scale these days. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Or are there still people out there making these massive albums with great producers? I think they must be. Because, you know, I yeah. think they must be because I really I miss the, the smell of the old big machines, you know, the big two-inch tape. There's a, there's a smell off those tapes, that, mm-hmm. the vibe and the, the buzz of the machinery. And now you walk in and there's, there's a laptop or something. Say, there's no magic anymore, right? And then in, yeah. in our day, like at least in the 80s, they were still splicing tape yeah. for edits. They're cutting it. Like, what the hell? It's like, what? And people don't realize that it's so... Then. People don't realize, like, you're literally using a razor blade to cut this tape. Like, this is not like some fancy tool. It's a little freaking razor blade, and you're using this little white marker to mark where you're going to edit. Because I did the same thing with audio when I first uh, started yeah. working in radio. I mean, it's... But it was beautiful, <laughs> right? It was a yeah. lot more work if you needed to cut something out of a song or move a piece or move something it's so much easier now but yeah. it, you know it, there's good and bad in both right it's like it was the master of that the master that was john punter who did our our Civis album and nova heart and his he, he came up through the deca, deca records days like he he worked under george martin when, mm, when we recorded the Iris album at Irish news london george martin walked in with his white shirt and his sleeves rolled up and shook all our hands and said, hey guys welcome to my studio and as a bunch of kids were like, oh, whatever, you know. But now I'm going, oh, my God, I shook George Martin's hand. But those are the old days of doing things. You work with Procol Harum, with the early um, John Cougar, um, coming up through the ranks, doing stuff like, you know, Japan and Roxy Music. And, and that was the way they did things back then. And that's the guy you should interview, too, is you get a hold of him, John Hunter. Oh, my God, the stories he could tell you. He's a total, you know, all-time Brit producer. Well, like, hook right out hook of- it up, man. Hook it up. Gord? Him and the cricket bat, you like in, in Spinal yes. Tap. He's like one of those guys. <laughs> that is... uh, he, he's living in Mexico right now, but I'm sure he could set up a Zoom call with him. Oh, man. Yeah. I it, would set it up. He's a, he's one of the most. So, and Nile was too, but he and, and John Hunter were, you know, brilliant and different worlds completely. But when you see the wealth of stuff that John did too. You know, it's crazy. funny. You mentioned the technology of today and. You know, nowadays, you meet anybody, you know, that is of, of note. You know, you meet a celebrity. Boom, the phone comes out. You get your selfie, and then you can show everybody, look at this, look who I met. Think of the amount of people that you met in the early days of the Spoons where there was no selfies, right? And all you now have are stories, you know. I, I you, yeah. know, I, you know, we were on stage, and we, we, all, we played with the, the police at the police picnic and whatever. Well, yeah, well, okay, fine, but where's, where's your selfie with Sting, right? I mean... All these people you met that you only have stories of now. But do people actually sit down and look at their old selfies? Do they? Go, I don't know. Maybe. I th- <laughs> you know. Maybe, you know, think of photo albums, right? Maybe they can't think of all those photos we put in. The- we, we never go back and look at them, do we? Really? I don't uh, think. On, on social I think media. I some things are just better left in your mind because they're probably <laughs> better than you remember. So, so what, what's it like when, <laughs> when somebody posts an old picture of the spoons and you know you've got your mullet and sandy's what do they call that crimping the hair you know <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah. is it almost it's like good. looking at a different person or is it like you can totally yeah, yeah it makes you laugh and it makes you appreciate that you're where you are now right but we all we all did crazy things back then that was the 80s right i mean uh, people said oh you look at you wore eyeliner yeah so, so did our accountant you know, everybody <laughs> had eyeliner back in the eight. Remember that movie Rockstar with uh, oh, Wahlberg? Phenomenal movie. Yeah. 
Like you worked in an office, right? Wearing eyeliner. It was like a different, uh, different vibe back then. It was all about theatrics and, and, and glam and bam and whatever. It was like different world. So, you know, you, it's easy. I think right, right after the 80s when the 90s kicked in and grunge, we're all a little embarrassed. Like, oh my God. Because the, the music then was so real all of a sudden. It was the grassroots, stripped down, raw. So anything from the excessive, you know, 80s was like embarrassing, right? But as time went on, I said, no, nah, it wasn't really. It was flamboyant. It was like uh, a new renaissance, you know? Like, think of all the different renaissances we've had through the, the decades, you know? Like, they were flamboyant and had, you know, think of in, in Florence with their masks and and, and uh, weird gowns and, you know, the, the Victorian age, you know? They, we all go through our times of, like, poofy collared shirts and <laughs> stuff. It just <laughs> comes around again, right? Do you see that happening again in music? Because we haven't had. I mean, the last big movement, I can think of maybe the, the emo sort of thing, Fallout Boy, uh, even maybe Linkin Park, and you know that was part of a movement in the early thousands, but there really hasn't been that breakout scene, that huge explosion. Yeah. Are we past that? Like, has music gotten to a point where that's not, not going to be a thing anymore? Or, or is, is there, there anything left? For... Is there any new thing left to do? Well, it's all yeah, it's like, of me. That's a good question, because I... I I'm scared to answer that because, first of all, everything's been kind of done. So everything's like derivative now. Mm -hmm. Like even the '80s thing was kind of big. You know, it showed up. Look, look at um, uh, Pearl Jam's. That's one of their singles. Sound like an '80s song with drum machines, right? Yeah. And they're, they're, <laughs> everybody's going sort of '80s for a while. Then that's sort of becoming tired now. So what next? Like, is there ever going to be another great rock band again? You know, for a while. Yeah. The last guys who held on were like David Grohl was like every award show with his like you know he was the last, the last one of the rock world or or a bit of same with Metallica they'd be the last band like where are the bands now there's no guitar gods that the general public goes mm. but it's always great players there's no guitar gods there's no like excess you know excess over the top rock bands I remember remember the um the darkness they kind of tried to bring that back and that sort of bit of a queen, British, over-the-top rock thing. I think we need that so much, you know? Well, think when about I it. See the stuff that, like you, you, know what, you know what I like it, too? When we see what's big right now, like like um, mainstream music, and the, it kind of lines up what you see on The Voice and on these talent shows. It's all in the same realm. It's as if in our day, when we were growing up, the best that they had to offer in the world was really sweet and clean, like, like the, the Osmonds, Menudo, and like really, you know, choreographed dancing. Bay City Rollers. And, oh, it's just like, it's so bland. And even when they try to be a little edgy, it's still contrived. And uh, that's why maybe some of the rap stuff, which I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of, but it's kind of more like the, the alternative or rocky, punky stuff that we had in our age. It kind of goes against the system and has some attitude. And, you know, they sing, they, they rap about, you know, controversial things whatever where mainstream music is just real bland and you know really this is mainstream we're talking like oh, we yeah. all find great bands that we like yep. that are out there that we you know for sure but well think about it i mean it, it, if you think about the 50s you, you you can hear a sound in your head that's a 50s song 60s that's a 60s song 70s had a sound the 80s had a sound the 90s definitely had a sound yeah after that it's it's just a big jumble. It's not that there wasn't any good music, but there was no defining sound of the 2000s or the 2010s, and now we're in the, yeah. the 20s, right? I mean, there's really no 
uh, maybe it's just that we're getting old, right? And, and maybe it's just no, that- you know, that's, I think that's a cop up because everybody says, well, our parents said the same thing. Yeah. I don't think so. It's been long enough, and I think I'm like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm my worst self critic, and I don't like a lot of stuff that we did. And, and I've learned to like some things. Like '90s is a good example. I didn't appreciate them until years later. But I mean, a yeah. lot of great '90s got some amazing stuff, right? But you're right, kind of. It's almost like all the notes and and chord changes that have been used up. Mm-hmm. And there's only a few times in the history of music there are geniuses that will take the same old three chords that have been used since the 50s, like Prince did it, right? Yeah. He stripped down a song. Oh my God, it's the same chords that they used in you know a song by Sean and Not, whatever. I don't know, I'm being simplistic. Mm-hmm. But he made something out of it that the average musician couldn't. He has that extra X factor that it, that, that might save us. You know, somebody who just has a brilliant take on things, uh, even though it's been done a million times. That's really what's come to that. All the ingredients have been used up. He's got to find a new cook who can make a new recipe out of that same thing, right? That's all, that's really hard to do. You know, it's oh my god, it's it's tough. And I'm lucky because in the '80s it was the other way. It was an excess of ideas and crazy ideas. Like people really try anything. It didn't even matter if you could play guitar very well or sing very well. You just go for it. You know, make a guitar to tune on purpose. You know, get a new drum machine. Try this pattern you sent it was all experimentation and uh, openness to all sorts of ideas and stuff going on now it's got to fit in a certain mold you don't get played you know you don't don't get appreciated and the kids are eating it up that's a scary thing remember remember we were growing up we fought the the mainstream i did not cool yeah you know i got my own kind of cool band most people unless i'm wrong they're kind of eating up the stuff they see on the voice and they're going ah that's, that's great singing that's great dancing yeah, yeah. What is it? I remember for me, I mean, music for me growing up, I grew up in, in, in Brampton. I was the only one of my friends growing up that did not listen to rap. I listened to bands like the Patch Mode and Grazier and the Spoons. And, and like, that's what I listened to. And, and I was teased mercilessly. And, and, you know, and then I got into metal and my parents got worried. And so I was fighting, like I fought my whole life just to listen to what I wanted to listen yeah. to. And it is one of the most important things in my life. And it was back then. It's how I got through the hard times. And it seems to me that music, you know, we've made it kind of like when I, when I first started playing and at the end of the nineties, you saw, you worried, you called it like the bubblegum revolution. Right. And that music was turning into something where it had meant so much on a personal level to people in the nineties and the eighties. And it just seems now that we've made it disposable and, you know, Spotify's made it disposable and I yeah. am Napster before at LimeWire, whatever you want to call it. Is there, is there a route back do you think to, to where we start giving it the value in our lives that we should? And, I don't think so. I wish the Pandora's box has been opened now. And for that part of it, the internet and all this stuff is evil. It's destroyed so many things, not just music, but film. You know, I was just talking to one of the rival bands, and not rival, but other 80s bands in, in Burlington, our hometown. There was a Spoons and there was a band called um, Channel 5. They're called the Ono as well for a while. Okay. Anyways, they're, they're a keyword player. They didn't do very much, but now I, I talked last couple of weeks ago because my son wants to get into soundtrack work. He won an Oscar and a Golden Globe for Life of Pi doing the soundtrack. Oh wow! And he did some other movies. He did one uh, one with John Jim Carrey. They won awards for as well. That one of his serious movies. But he's a big direct, you know, film scorer down there, like Hans Zimmer. So he won an Oscar, right? And he's from my. We're chatting, 
because I'm and it said the same thing for the film industry. It's completely changed, not because of COVID, even before then. So to, you know, I, you can make like ten percent of what you did back in the days of life and pie working on a soundtrack. Everything is like you say disposable, has no value. They grab it from somewhere else, they get it free, or you know, they have reruns, they have remakes, they it's it's reality shows. You know, it's it, they they're cutting money in corners everywhere. You know, but somebody's making money off of it. You know, well, it's, I, it's I, very. I'd be remiss if we didn't mention your son Matthew because I, I've had a chance to get to know him, and, and and he's just a brilliant kid. And what I really love about him is that, you know, he could have just followed your path and got into mainstream music, but instead yeah. he said he wanted to make he wanted to make soundtracks. And I've listened to some of his stuff, and it's 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 awesome, awesome stuff. Yeah. Were, were you at all surprised yeah. that that's the route that he wanted to go and? how encouraging are you for him to kind of go this route? Because maybe it's like they say, right? You either have to be so down the middle of the path yeah. or so far off. If you're anywhere in the middle, you're screwed. Right. And I think that yeah. he's doing a really cool thing that not a lot of young people are doing right now. Yeah. No, I think it's good. And you still, you can still write a great pop song. Like, um, we did the ones on the Spoons album and like life on demand and, and, uh, Lanny lights, those are all his keyboard parts and stuff. But yeah, but he's ever since he started playing the piano, even like a seven-year-old, he's always been very moody and introspective. I've been doing this stuff. I'm like, where's it coming from? He's like possessed or something. <laughs> or we, we go see a movie like Harry Potter, and he wouldn't remember the exact melody, but he'd get that vibe with that theme going just without thinking, without any lessons, without any training. So yeah, I, I think it's in him, that sort of depth of, of emotion. And he can go from something like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Hans Zimmer style thing to very stripped down, single note kind of atonal stuff. And, and then you get very sort of modern or folky, whatever. You can go all over the place depending on what mood you want, you know. So I hope you get some, any, any young filmmakers out there get in contact with Matthew Depp and, and, and work together. I think you'd be very happy. Gord, this was a lot of fun, man. An, another note. Okay, you, get, you, get your one more, you got one last one in there, Tom. Yeah, just a, a quick note on on Matthew Depp. Um, I had the the pleasure of actually playing with Matthew a few times uh, last oh, really? year before COVID. Yeah, we were doing uh, a gentleman I know was working at the Mississauga Arts Council, mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Wessling, and we were doing these jams at this beautiful little church in Port Credit every yeah. week with young singer songwriters. And Matt sat in on keyboards a few times. And you're right. Oh my God, he's moody, but he's got fantastic grooves and you know i wanted to ask you what it was like playing for your son but it's a goofy question to ask you because i know what it's like playing with him it's fantastic yeah. but yeah. let me ask you what's it like playing with him like from a father to a son i'm, I'm down here playing bass with my nine and ten year old and i'm yeah. hoping someday that maybe down the road what's it well, like it's for you? totally him because as a kid when he started playing piano I, I, and never with lessons just fooling around i try to teach him some spoon stuff and he went, no, Dad, no, no, I don't. he wasn't interested, right? But then years later, I would hear him, and he'd do his own take on a song of ours. Like, That's wild. Take a song, like, one in ten, like one in ten words, just a, a perky 80s song. He made, like, an opera out of it. And on piano. And so he, it stuck with him, right? And, and he sees, he, oh, I got low battery. <laughs> um, uh oh, gorgeous. There you are. You know, it's like, um, he, he must have been listening because... I'm, I'm I'm sort of the same kind of writer, very sort of darker and deeper, and so I appreciate that stuff, you know. And I tell people now, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people. I think he's probably the, my favorite co-writer I've ever worked with. That is like, incredible I think, to say. I think he should he should 
he should, anybody who needs to write an album or something, sit down with Matthew. He won't ever finish a song for you, but he'll give you the beginnings of 10 great songs that you go, oh my God, where did that come from? That's incredible. And he'll do that over and over again. So yeah, I I'll say, yeah. I, had, I got him together with um, Eddie Ryder, who's our other keyboard player when, when uh, Casey was playing with us. Yeah. He filled in for me a few times, another young guy. And he's now the keyboard player for Sean Mendez. And Sean Mendez has got like eight co-writers, you know? I said things. So I got together with him, not with Sean Mendez, because nobody can get close to him. But I said the same thing. That's what you'd be perfect at. You should be like a staff writer. On a, you'd be the starter. Somebody else be the closer, you know? Oh, like, yeah. He had a wealth <laughs> of ideas. So some of y'all that there need not only soundtrack work, but they need a co-writer. Sit down with this guy. You know, you actually just hire him out by the hour. He'll give you 10 ideas an hour, then move on to the next one. <laughs> Damn. I got to get him back on the show. He's been on before, but we got to get him again. Gord, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Uh, always great to get your perspective. And by the way, when when music does resume live, I do have a request. Can you please play the rhythm? Yeah. Well, I was going to say live, but you're going to do it for me now. Even better. See, this is an example. We're talking about old things over. Those chords are the old 50s progression, like... It's like an old progression from way back, right? But you put some drum machines around it and some weird guitar chorus and all of a sudden it's, it's new again. So. And maybe that's why that song relates to me so much because I do like the 50s and 60s sound and maybe yeah. subconsciously didn't even realize that that chord progression was something that, you know, makes me feel a certain way. And that's why when I hear that song, I, I, I really and dig it. it's perfect it. for that song because the rhythm has got an analogy for your life. So it, it kind of looks at life like a song at the beginning and the end and we lose someone and the, and the needle skips across the record. And, you know, it's, it's very, it's like the running traffic. I use traffic as an analogy. This one, it's a song, like, it's like a song. You, you come and go and you listen to it again and leave it for a while and then how you grow up. So that nostalgia of that 50s chord progression probably works really well for with it for that reason so yeah i didn't know that when i wrote it i just figured that <laughs> out now <laughs> man we we could literally do this all day but uh you know we we must move on but uh gord again thank you so much and hopefully uh we'll, we'll see you in person sometime in 2021 no you will for sure there is gord depp of the spoons and thomas a flock of seagulls cannot forget a flock of seagulls Absolutely not. One great artist, two great bands. And what a great conversation. I, Gord is just such a, a great human being. And it's only been over the last maybe four years that I've known Gord personally. Uh, I was always a big fan of the Spoon. Saw them in concert a million times. I'd never had an opportunity to meet Gord. Uh, and I met him through Ed Sousa. So uh, thank you, Ed, once again for, you know, another connection. And uh, speaking of Ed Sousa Connections, uh, he has helped uh, arrange for us to speak with the legendary Carol Pope from Rough Trade. And Carol, we heard a brand new song of hers on the New Year's Eve show, and it was fantastic. And she's got another new tune, and we're going to hear about that one, and we'll hear that one as well. So Carol Pope coming up on next week's show. If you uh, are a sports fan, and I know some of you are sports fans, uh, we've got a very, very deep conversation with former Toronto Blue Jay Chris Colabello coming up on Sundays out of the park. And Tom, man, uh, this is a guy that has been wrongly accused of, you know, putting illegal substances into his body, and his whole career was shot from it. And man, yep. the repercussions that this this guy's had to go through since then. 
Yeah, I uh, encourage everybody, music lovers, baseball lovers, human lovers, catch this interview and, and hear Chris Colabello's story, read into it. There's a couple of great articles out there about it. And it's, it's, you know, it's heartwarming to see that he's still going and still fighting for what he thinks is right in spite of one hell of a rough ride. Absolutely. Uh, once again, a big thank you to Gord Depp. If you'd like to watch the video of this, uh, just check out my social media page at Barry Davis underscore on Twitter or uh, Barry Davis on Facebook, and uh, it will be posted ready for you to see. So for Tom Forth, I'm Barry Davis. Thank you so much for making us a part of your week. That's all the time we have for today's show. Until next time, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I'm Casey Kasem. <laughs>